All right, welcome back. Episode 40 of the Young Old Heads podcast. That is four zero episodes that we've done. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Max, aka Cards Max, aka Cards Max, California edition. Max, how you doing? I'm doing good. I slept a lot today. I had a red-eye fight last night because I was coming back from the Burbank card show. My mustache is looking great, and I am enjoying cards. Is that the farthest you've ever traveled for a card show, Max, to Burbank? Yes. The only time that I've ever flew for a card show before Burbank was Dallas. So those are back-to-back here. It's been a big big little month here for you, Max. You've been, you've been all over the place, bouncing around. I like to bounce. Um, can you give me a quick rundown? In my head, Burbank is 100% Zion briefcase holding motherfuckers. So tell me, uh, what's the ratio? What were you? What were the vibes? I want to say Zion briefcase case ratio really was about 80%, which boded well and not so well for the show itself. I have a few gripes with the show. I have a few pluses with the show, some positives. But Traveling to Burbank, California, excuse me, not Burbank, California, not Ontario, California, because there's a distinguishment. It was not in Los Angeles. It was generally the crowd of people that brands themselves as usually traveling for shows. And then a lot of West Coast dealers that were just making it out to Ontario. So um, I think not being entirely saturated with national like dealers helps it. But it was a big commute for an above average, definitely strongly above average, but ultimately an above average show. That's fun. I saw something that I saw on social media that I thought was cool was that um, Burbank Rob was having like a liquidation center. So like a table where you could go up and like sell your cards to Burbank. Um, I know that's like one of his big points if you follow Burbank on Instagram is like there's not enough liquidity centers in the hobby and like. These are important to get people to be out of cards and get other cash. Um, was that a table that you uh, frequented? Did you see my comments on that post? I did not see your comment. Do you want to Yeah, my comment that? was, this is not a good look. Um, I think that's really bad for shows in general in that most of the dealers that are paying six an exuberant $600 to set up at your table are not doing it to sell. They're doing it in order to buy. And when Burbank is actively less competitive than all most, if not all of the dealers at tables, not necessarily they're either as competitive or some dealers are more competitive. The comment of, oh, they're getting cash in people's hands so they can buy at shows. I think that's plausible. I don't know how accurate that is. Burbank literally, I mean, because they have a buying sheet on their website, on their Beckett marketplace. They will pay like, dimes and quarters for your numbered parallels that I would probably plausibly pay a dollar for, or I'd pay 50 cents for. And I, maybe I'm just unique in that I buy a lot of stuff, but there were very few, I was managing a table during half of Saturday, during Saturday morning. I want to say I had one or two walk-ups the entire time. Granted, they were mostly talking to my buddy who had higher end basketball and football next to me than my baseball table. But there were very, very few walk-ups, and I'm inclined to think that only dampened the ability to buy off of walkers. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about it because my initial reaction was, you know, I think this is a good idea. Like, at a show, it would be a good, you know, it would be good to have, like, a dedicated table for buying. But, you know, I didn't think about, you know, you're more of a dealer, so you're thinking about the dealer side of things more than I am. So I get what you're saying there. Like, 
you probably did have less walk-ups to try to sell you stuff because there was like a center to go to. And that also probably just like lowers people's effort to like go around every single dealer and try to find top dollar when they're like, you know what, I'll take 40 cents on the dollar from Burbank instead of trying to walk around for two hours to get 60 or 70 cents on the dollar. So I get that point. Um, that's interesting. Was it, what was the vibe of like uh, the types of cards that you were seeing? Was it more, was it the more like quote unquote, like stereotypical West coast uh, show as Rohan would say, like a very high end modern stuff with like a he- emphasis on basketball and uh, football over, you know, your newfound love for vintage baseball. Lots of football, lots of, basketball but more so football especially with it being super bowl weekend baseball was very desolate and the people that had it didn't want to give it up and if they did have it they it was mostly trout and otani and they didn't want to give that up either both due to the regional bias as well as to them being two very good baseball players my favorite line that i've now heard a few times is that julio rodriguez is only going up i've heard it so many times specifically to julio rodriguez and I find it so funny because his rookie cards scream the biggest sell to me. This is not a sports analysis or card analysis. This is a card analysis podcast, but not a sports analysis podcast. But I think, and I, my counter to that is tomorrow's price is not today's price. You heard it here first. Tomorrow's price is not today's price. That's hilarious. Um, I get what you're saying, though. Like, I, I don't think that, I think that it, it would be, we'll, we as a collecting world will be hard pressed to find a guy who was the highest selling out of his rookie class year one and have his value actually go up even with a hall of fame career. I think that 99.9% of the time that there is a top rookie in a product or a year, their value will go down over time. Would you agree with that? Yeah. You know me. I know ball at the end of the day, it's the end of the day. And if something has changed or not changed, that's what we are dealing with at hand. I know people like to speculate. I know people like to buy the off seasons. Buying the off seasons is more of a rule. It's more of a guideline for if you're buying below market to begin with, then you might, and you're stuck holding it, then you might as well hold something you think is going to go up, but it's imperfect. I like to buy good deals, cards, cards, cards. I didn't have many collect moments, but I had many. Wow. I can't believe I'm holding this in my hands and I own it moments. Did you have any, uh, did you meet any cool people? Was there anyone that came like a significantly far distance for the show that you met? No, the far the person who traveled farthest to the show was me. And I think I bumped into a few others that said they were coming from New York. The vast majority of people were from the West Coast. Makes sense. Uh, I don't think it was a good thing because, oh, excuse me, it was a good thing, but Burbank essentially branded this as a West Coast national. They're branding this as equal to Dallas at worst really and ultimately I've, and i have had gripes on this show before it was a more modern and polished version of what the east coast national could have been because i griped about the east coast national over the summer and how there was no ac it was all old heads and everyone was above dollar and there just wasn't much deals to be made lots of deals were made at burbank and i did a good bit of buying but i found pretty quickly that i was saturated of dealers not on while well, Dallas, you could walk the floor forever, pretty much. And you could turn you're done doing that. There's like a bunch of other rooms that you can also walk. But I was underwhelmed by Burbank. I don't think having a long line of buyers helped that. The trade night room was extremely small. And 
there are a lot of things that they could have improved that would make me want to go out for a second time. Do you think that the fact that it was on Super Bowl weekend impacted it? Um, was Sunday like a dead dead day at the show, or what was the vibe? And again, ironic to their marketing, but the expected result, regardless, Super Bowl day was dead. I want to say 70 to 80% of the tables didn't even walk in outside of setting up, excuse me, outside of taking down their setups. Because I was there all Sunday. I had a red-eye flight. I was looking to stay on Sunday and transact as much as possible, specifically because I had this extra day. I didn't want to leave a day early because leaving at 6 a.m. the previous night was the other alternative. It was either stick all Monday or leave Sunday out entirely. So I decided to stick on Sunday. And there were so many dealers who just didn't show up. And you can't blame them because it's Super Bowl Sunday. I know Rob and the Burbank team was very adamant saying, oh, you know that Trevor Lawrence, San Diego, you know, not San Diego anymore, Los Angeles Chargers game where everyone are buying and selling Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert as the game's happening. We want that during the Super Bowl. And ultimately, their Super Bowl performance was us getting into the trade night room at 3 o'clock, what was essentially a projector going on the TV screen, broadcasting the game, and a lot, a lot of loud, overweight men in their 30s cheering when the Chiefs or, or Eagles did something good or bad and having sports card talk opinion. And I'm like, man, these are people with five or six figures skin in the game, maybe even seven. They're just eating some Doritos and they're cheering and they're going crazy. This is a bit disappointing. I feel like I'm in a middle school library watching a screen on a projector. So Sunday was dead. Most people didn't even show up outside to take down their stuff. And the Super Bowl marketing was very much not a trade night like either Burbank hoped for or maybe I hoped for as a dealer or a buyer. Not the most important thing because considering there's three earlier trade nights on the Thursday, the Friday, and the Saturday. But underwhelming given that part of the marketing for intentionally putting it on Super Bowl weekend was so that people would be enthused and want to transact during the Super Bowl. As someone who gets paid to do marketing, I will say that that is one of the worst ideas that I've heard having a card show on Super Bowl Sunday. So I'm not surprised in the slightest that there was a dead day on Sunday because, I mean, come on. Like, you're talking about people who are obsessed with sports so much to the fact that they will collect and spend thousands of dollars on cards. They're going to want to watch the Super Bowl and probably with their friends or whatever back home. So not surprised at all about that. And bummed that you didn't have another day to make deals and stuff. Um, I did see you made a deal with my uh, homie Nick, Stack and Sell. What what did you buy from him? I had a lot of fun with Nick. Did I do a deal specifically with Nick? Oh, I bought a bulk lot from him. Um, just random PSA 10 prisms cards. And it was very simple of like, he apparently had bought at like 75 or 70%. I was just giving him 80%. So he made like probably 50 bucks off it. And I'm churning through the inventory, which isn't bad because they're not hard cards to move. But really, that was kind of my thinking outside of some of the really big rocket ship plays. It's like, okay, I'm a little bit tapped out of dealers unless I want to buy four figures on a card, which is something that was on the table and something that I did, but only so much rollover I can do on that given my budget. I'm like, okay, well, I know if I buy, if I find people that are trading into cards that they don't want, Tommy, are we here? I know we're having some connection issues. You're nodding your head. We're here. Phenomenal. So I know, you know, people that are doing trades and stuff, they're buying liquid cards, but they don't want to do the work with selling them. So if at least in the case of Nick and another buddy, I'm just like, hey, like, 
or actually not in Nick's case, but a few times I'm like, oh, you just got these in a trade. I'm like, literally how much for these three? Like they comp out for this. I'll buy them with this. Cool. Done. 10% off for them, for them not doing the work. I'm like, great. I will feast and smooch and cook on that 10%. Yeah, Nick's a fun guy to deal with because he deals in such high volume. Like he buys and sells so many cards on a day-to-day basis that he is down to do that kind of like, I'll take just a 5% on this card or on these three cards because I'm moving so much that just churn is the is the name of the game. Um, and he was speaking that he even has so many cards that it's not even necessarily worth buying at 80 or 80% if he can't move it in 10 days or two weeks, which I think is a fascinating rationale. Because my way of thinking is I cannot get enough cards in my hands. I want more cards to give to other people. And so then I can buy more cards for myself. I had I tried to have a collect moment. You want to hear some Labor Torres dialogue? So I was tweeting about it a, a little bit. I have the Bowman's best one of one of Labor Torres on my desk. Isn't this pretty? See those super factor coils? Wait, is that a super factor? That's a super factor. That's one of one PSA. 10. And you, and that's in your hands right now. That is, that is in my hands. So I saw it at a table. Um, it had a one case sticker. I'm like, I like a BGS 10 black label for the red out of 10 did 300. I'm like, I'd match that. And they're like, Hey, like we have room. We don't have that much room. Like a guy allegedly offered that we can do 750 that we do 750 on it, but he walked away and he's not back and blah, whatever, how believable that is. But like, we kind of turned it down. I'm like, Okay, interesting. So I knew the card was out of reach for me. There is a Glaber Torres collector in Scotland who is a very cool guy, um, Derek Robeson, at Derek Robeson underscore NYY on Twitter, and I think similar to that on Instagram. He has a monster Glaber Torres collection. Have you seen it, Tommy? Uh, I have not seen it, but I did see his tweet about how handsome you were, so I am a big fan of this guy. Yeah, no, he has a monster Claver Torres PC. It puts everyone to shame and it kills dreams because he owns pretty much everything. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to reach out to him, see if he wants it. We offered, you know, 50 bucks higher than, than that was pretty much his max offer. I don't want, you know, but we offered a little bit higher than the 750 that the guy apparently rejected. And then that was enough to do it because I was paying half cash, half Venmo, whatever. And I'm like, I will pay you right now. Great. Cool. And this is going to be on its way to Scotland. So not my own personal Glaber Torres card, but one that I'm happy to broker to another Glaber Torres, the Glaber Torres Super Correct Collector. But that's pretty wild, dude. You're that's awesome though. I love brokering a deal like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I know like the heart, like I know he'd love this card. So it's like, okay, my dis- and then it was a little funny. So I took a picture of the card I sent to him, and then I couldn't find what table it was at. So I had to go and like search the floor to find which specific table this was at. Uh, there was a table I thought it was at. I'm like, oh, is, did you guys have the Glaber Torres Super Factor? And they're like, no, we didn't. Damn, that's wild. I had a uh, big collect moment during the Super Bowl. And I know that we usually talk about these at the end, but I do want to talk about this right now just as an anecdote real quick. Because while you were out there in California during the Super Bowl, I was eBay sniping for people who were dumb enough to have their auctions end during the Super Bowl for mm-hmm. cards that were not football related. So I saw this auction. I actually started watching it right when it was listed, but it's a 2012 Immaculate triple rookie relic of three guys, and it's a jersey number match for two of them. It is a Clay Thompson, Kyrie Irving, Kenneth Fareed, the legend, 
uh, the relic out of Immaculate. Um, numbered 11 out of 99, which is jersey number for both Clay Thompson and Kyrie when he was on the Nets and for part of his career. So, Max, double jersey number, even though Kyrie changes his number sometimes? Yeah, that's a predicament. Um, now you make me really pose the question of do does Jay Crowder and Kenneth Reed have any dual cards? They probably do, but wait, just for the the record, no, the best, the best dreadlocks and hair in the game. Oh Go yeah, the kids these days do not know about Kenneth Reed, but um, I got this card for ninety bucks shipped. This is an immaculate rookie relic for Kyrie and Clay Thompson, two guys who will be in the Hall of Fame. So hyped about that for my collection. Big collecting moment, kind of for me. Um, what is up? What was up with you though, Max? I want to hear specific deals. I had a what was I had the a biggest sell. What was the biggest buy? I had a collect moment denied. Um, I saw a Blaber Torres blue promo chrome first auto, and this was before I was doing any dealings with the Superfactor. I think this was the day earlier, and I'm like, hey, I mean, also I made sure not to say the oh he's my PC line because no one likes that, no one wants to be guilted, and. I wouldn't want to employ that, but um, I saw, which is color match for the Cubs uni, the 2015 first Bowman Chrome Glaber Torres blue auto out of 150. It's a cool card. I saw a true gem did 275. They were stickered at like 300. And I think I wanted to be at 200 and they were, their bottom was 225. And I'm just like, I can't swing that at a Beckett 95 doing 275 doing 200 for the PSA nine, or maybe their bottom was two fifty, and my top was two twenty five. I remember we were apart by twenty five bucks or something like that. That one hurt, but I try to stay very frugal and conservative with my expenses that I know that I'm not going to sell. I still have my Glaber Torres Red Heritage PSA ten ink auto, and that's really cool. But I think that was my last most recent big Glaber buy, so that was a collect moment denied. Um, Tommy, since you specifically mentioned deals. Um, this was probably my flip of the show, which is inferior compared to so many other flips that I saw and witnessed, but I think it was a good flip. And this was my best flip. This is a BGS nine trying to get the lighting, right? A BGS nine, five Walmart blue Mike trout. Um, so on the first day of the show, I was looking at the table that had this and a diamond anniversary and a few other cool trout stuff. I saw last sale on this was a BGS 9.5, or last BGS 9.5 sale was 2,800. They were stickered at 3,000. I saw, that felt a little bit low because I was eyeing a PSA 9 Walmart Blue and Golden. That ended at 23. And, you know, the 7s and 8s were around that. And then, oh, and also checking the sales history, I saw a more recent PSA 9 sale to 2,800. So I was able to buy this trout at 2,400. I posted it on Facebook that same day for 3,500 OBO and I sold it very quickly for 3,200 goods and services. Damn, that's legit. What are you doing on Facebook? Instant impressions, instant high rolling buyers. Um, I think I had, I had an offer on Twitter for 2.9 and then I had two for three on Facebook and I just took the Facebook one at 3.2 or made one of the threes come up to 3.2. That's uh, some flight money you just covered with that. That's a nice flip. No, I did like the math. I think my expenses for like all of my food, the I didn't need an Uber because the Uber is 10 minutes away from the airport. I took one Uber, 10 bucks. So like the room was like 200 for, you know, I'm splitting with two other people over three nights. 
Room was 200. Round trip flight was 250. I think with food and some others sprinkled in, I think it was like a six to seven hundred dollars in total expenses. And they made after after goods and services fee, I made seven hundred dollars from that card. So that felt that was reassuring. That's hype. That's super hype. Uh, I you said that you were monitoring a table. Uh, I didn't know that you bought a table. What was the deal with uh, your setup situation? Oh, my setup situation. Wait, no, I didn't even finish the stuff with the trout. So, wait, was I saying monitoring in the context of that deal? Not you're nodding your head. Yes. Did I say monitor? You you explained that you were watching on Golden a card. You saw it in a case with a bunch of other. Okay, trout. you know, screw. I guess I sped through some of the details on that. I was looking at this card at another table. And the guy's buddy who also I was speaking with the guy's buddy who this wasn't their card is another dealer at the table's card. But in that time, I had already done the comp research so that when the guy and incidentally, when the guy came back, I'm like, I knew it pretty cool. And I'm like, hey, last did 2.8 or you do 2.4. And they're like, yeah, that's that's fair. And he was less firm than I was like expecting, which was great because the the buddy was saying, oh, this guy is super firm. He's not going to do like below sticker so i'm like okay whatever but i i had already done the comp research in my head so that's interesting there's also an element of like me not even needing to bring up my that i felt like not worried but like a little bit of a bar being like i don't even need to look at my phone i know what this card does yeah that's dope that's a good position to be in when you like had a card that you have also been watching on auctions and like recently no comps of what it's been selling at and being able to be like in a in a negotiation at a card show, being able to be like, no, I know exactly what this is going for. I I don't really need to call yeah, too much. I mean, look, he even could have come back at me and said like, hey, last PSA nine to two point eight. Like, I think me not even needing to bring out my phone made him not even need to bring out his phone. And he knew he saw like the confidence that I was kind of bringing out. We had another that was the same guy as the one with the Laboratories Blue Bowman Chromato, so that kind of stunk. And um, I tried to buy more trout off him, but he was staying a little bit higher percentage wise than i would have wanted but he had cool stuff and it worked out and i'm glad that i was able to get this trout sent out and i have a base and a gold i need to get a picture of all three of them on my red mat table yeah quick uh rainbow pick uh do you get one more anecdote story before we transition to uh our closing remarks here i want to hear are we really already at 29 minutes we've been balling dude you've been balling you've been balling talking about the show i want to hear though about like a, a deal or trade that you made did you make any trades i know I that made, west coast I made, is- one, I, I made one trade but i will say there was some drama which is always fun um there is a guy who i was negotiating on a jordan walker and marcelo mayor psa 10 boma chromatos i'm like all right can we do can we do paypal and he's like has to be cat like i'm 50 dollars higher if it's not cash i'm like okay let me get cash he's like great there's an atm downstairs i go to my table with my friends i'm like hey can someone spot me cash and in that the guy's like, hey, can anyone beat fifteen fifty on these two cards? And the guy's like, oh, I'll be seventeen fifty. And I'm like, we've agreed to a price. I got snaked. I also denied a kid's or no, a kid did a trade up challenge, and I engaged in it just to make sure he didn't come back to the table. And I traded my Bowman Chrome Sapphire Auto for that did ten bucks to fifteen bucks. And I was hoping to get a card that just did like a rock solid ten bucks just to try to help the challenge. And I got a card that was at. 290 OBO. What? I yeah. mean, first of all, fuck the kids. Fuck the trade up challenges. Fuck the adult. Fuck, fuck the adult. Fuck the, fuck the young, fuck the teenager to young adult that was in the chain up challenge. 
You know, you know what really grinds my gears, Max? What is? This dude, King of Cards. Do you know this guy on Instagram? Yeah. He's doing this trade-up challenge thing, and it's clearly just like a whatnot advertisement thing. And as a marketing person, you know, I respect the marketing grind, but just the trade-up challenge thing, I just can't get behind it. I don't know what it is. It just really rubs me the wrong way. I don't know why. Um, Life is a trade-up challenge. And I think when you're doing that in the context of cards, it's very fun. But once you, like, it just becomes like a lot of bookkeeping, which I guess starting fresh is very easy to do. And I respect his specific trade-up challenge. I think it's fun to watch. It's entertaining. I haven't watched all of it. But if you're trying to mimic that, trade-up challenges are cool and pro-fun and pro-collect if you're doing it in your home head. If you're using that as an align to guilt on someone to give you a deal better than what any market value would indicate, then what's the point? And even when I like, I think when I was at the table that I was splitting, kind of half splitting with, um, I didn't set up for very long. I was walking for most of the show, but there was a gentleman who had like this, it was a Ray Allen. It was Ray Allen and someone else that was kind of random. It was like, oh no, it was Ray Allen and I think JJ Reddick, like a dual napkin auto, like a random card that did like 60 bucks. And he's like, oh, can you do like it for this? I'm like, do you have any cards? Like, what are you trying to get out of it? And like, he wouldn't say a value. And I'm like, he's pointing to different cards. I'm like, oh, here's this liquid jaw Morant card or whatever. I didn't say the word liquid, but that was what's in my head that this guy can use for his challenge. I'm like, okay, the comps are like, some did 40, some did 80. I'm like, okay, I can try to sell it for 80 or so, but pretty much 60 for 60 swap. And he's like thinking about it. He's comping it out. He was very like reserved. Not to say introverted. I'm an introvert. I say I don't sound crazy. I whenever I do Myers Briggs, I'm like split down introvert and extrovert. So I'm not an introvert. But like I'm not bashing introverts. I'm bashing the reservedness and making me do all the work for something that you want to do. And at the end of it, he checks comps, he does everything, and he's like, Can you throw ten dollars on it? And I'd give the stern no. And he's like, okay, thank you. I'm very kind of firm with my trade offers. I know when I make it when I am doing my trades or I'm making a deal, like if my best is my best, I'm not giving in. I'd rather have you walk away because I know what my best is. I'm a confident human being. Yeah, yeah. Don't deal with Max unless you know what you're doing because he knows what he's doing. Uh, Sometimes. I will respect. I did one trade. I will respect, though, real quick, because I went on that rant. I will respect people who do trade-up challenges totally in a silo and aren't, like, going to your table going, I'm doing a trade-up challenge with this card. You know, I respect it if you're just doing it. I respect trading, obviously. Um, I want to hear about the trade that you made, though. What trade did you actually make? It was an interesting trade. No, yeah, I think doing finding ways to find cards to be entertainment and fun for you is extremely fun. And finding what other people value versus what the perceived value that's entertaining to watch and also entertaining even in your own head. Like, all so much about cards is entertaining. Cards are fun. Cards, cards, cards. I had a trade where I traded out of a finest refractor Erling Holland from 2019, which is his only card in the Salzburg kit, and a Erling Holland green bubbles um, that was in a, a Dortmund kit. Um, green bubbles is unnumbered, but zero numbered out of 99. And I traded it for a Luka Doncic BGS 95 hollow and uh, a Tom Brady PSA 10 prism. And it was another, it's maybe I just like, if you're making it all like, oh, okay, you like my cards, I like these cards, and like, I, 
I'm not even trying to like be obnoxious when I say this. I'm like, what is the cash difference between these two? Like, I know I'm at this price on this. I know you're so, I, usually it's like, I know my price, your sticker high. What is the cash difference? And even online, when people, I know you love trading online. Online, people are like, oh, trades, trades, trades. And I'm like, okay, I have interest in this and this. Okay, if I say I have interest in this and this, it is on you to tell me the cash difference. It's not my job to do all the comps. It's your job. If you're making a trade offer to me, you give me the cash difference between them, and then we'll see how far apart we are. I can do my part by telling you which cards I like. I can't do my part by making by spoon-feeding the offer in you and not even having you negotiate and do your part. Well, I agree with that. Um, I definitely run into issues. I mean, I love trading online, but I am trading, you know, under $10 cards for the most part. So mm. it's like... It's I just have binder this... stuff. What? It's just binder stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trading like, oh, I have this $3 cool parallel of the Braves. Oh, there's a tons of Braves fans who rip packs. Here's a guy who has a giant yeah. parallel for me. That happens like all the time. And that's fun. But that's different than what you, the trading you do. That's like a whole different yeah. one. So I traded up, I, excuse me, I traded my Holland and my two Hollands, which are definitely rarer Holland cards. If you are in, like investing in Holland or whatever, those are like really nice cards. And when I was selling them on Twitter, I disclosed them as eight, nine toss ups. And I know this because they have graded both as an eight as an and as a nine. <laughs> but I was pretty like moral and saying like, hey, like I genuinely don't think these are tens. And it's a little funny when people are DMing me saying, oh, can you send me pictures of this, this and that? And I'm like, just take my word for it that I don't think it's a gem. Don't waste my time sending you pictures. And then God forbid my description being accurate that I don't think they can gem. But apropos of that, I traded about thousand dollars of wherever holland stuff that's rawer honestly cooler cards but a little bit more condition hazy and i traded them actually at a loss because they were both psa 9 cracks they came back to psa 8s and i was debating resubbing them but i ended up just not doing it so i was into those cards for about a thousand dollars plus um grading fees and i traded out of them at i think about a thousand give or take i think i valued them at no excuse me i'm into them for 1100 i traded out of them at a value of a thousand because we took recent psa 9 sales and like took off 50 bucks which is reasonable right because it they're i didn't think they would gem their toss-ups whatever and the cards that he got to that we had was about a thousand if i sell them at 90 percent, i'll get 900 bucks so i'll probably lose 200 bucks plus grading fees it sucks i'm okay with it you take the risk you learn and that's what it takes if, and yeah. I trust myself to keep making more and more plays and that I'm going to win more than I lose, that my wins are going to be so much better than what my 10% losses or 20% losses are. You always win big. That's how it goes. But I'm um, a winner and a real human being. We were tra- talking about trading before the podcast in relation to a new platform that I just want you to give me your quick two cents on because yeah, sure. I have not used it. Um, um, Veriswap. You are using Veriswap. Can you just give me your quick two-minute spiel about how your experience is on there so far? Um, it's interesting. I tried to do... So Veriswap has been in the works for, I think, a few months now. Um, I decided to go and update my inventory there, and I was getting, like, four or five offers. I was getting offers, like, pretty quickly, which is much progress over what it was a few months ago. Um, the biggest problem is that they aren't upfront about their fee structure i'm not saying out of that they're hiding it or that they're deceiving but it isn't easy to look up and after you accept a trade 
you have to pay, I think, a 5% transaction. Both members have to pay a 5% transaction fee on what the trade value of the deal is. And that's the whole point, purpose of Paraswap is you're pretty much agreeing the trades online. You're shipping them to a middleman that is confirmed safe. And then they're dispersing cards to you. But 5% fee of your trade value in cash is steep. That's the difference between making a deal and not making a deal. And especially for higher end cards, I mean, if they can amplify to where the liquidity makes sense, then sure. But they're getting 10% of a transaction for middlemanning. That's a high amount of money. All of these new platforms that are coming out right now, sure, their argument is lower than, oh, these are lower fees than eBay. But you are not eBay. You are not getting me the eyeballs of eBay. You're not even converting, in this case, you're not even converting a sale. And out of every single platform that has tried to emerge since, let's say, 2019 in the card hobby, in the card world, the only platform that has had any sticking value has been my slabs. And that's entirely because they're at 1% fees. If they made 5% fees for my slabs, no one would use it. 5% is steep, bro. That is insane. For each side. Yeah. And they, as you said, they do not market it really that it is 5%. It's not really like a known thing until you start using it, which I think is a little bit shady. So I had a deal, I think a few months ago, I traded my Jalen Brunson cracked ice auto PSA 10 for a Trey Young courtside PSA 10 bronze out of 60. And I was negotiating the deal in Veriswap and they do have terms of stipulation, terms and services where you can't message your ads or platforms on other people on other um for other platforms to circumvent and that's fine but i was about to accept the guy's offer and i think i had my jalen brunson at like i think i like had it too high i had it like my my ebay obo price which obviously wasn't what it was worth but i had a like three thousand obo and i put my trade value on the site as three thousand and it's like oh you want to accept this trade please enter your payment info so that you can send us $150. And I'm like, what? I expected there to be some fees, but like I didn't expect to pay $150 in fees for that deal to go through. Let alone my partner is also doing that. So I really just, I like reverse found other cards in his inventory, found which cards found his eBay. Then from that, I'm able to find his Instagram. I hit him up on the side. I'm like, Hey, let's do this deal, which is, you know, legal, you know, on various swaps to make sure I don't find the owner. But um, I found the owner. We did the deal via mail. We felt a little bit safe because at this stage of early various swap, really, you have to be really in the cards if you're doing various swap, you know. You have to be really in the cards. Yeah, that that's like one of those, like, social contract things where you're like, yeah, we we to, we've kind of had enough, like, trust in each other to not mess each other up. And we both did the deal which was great. But even in deals on Veriswap now, I'm making sure my trade values are low just in case I need to accept the deal on their platform. And they now make it so that I believe before you can even make the offer, you have to be associated with Stripe. You have to hook up your Stripe info and you have to hook up a valid payment method just in case someone backs out of a deal so Veriswap can charge you. We're going to have to check back in on this platform in the future, Max. But uh, It's a great idea. They just want too much money. Yeah. And I get that. I get that problem. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about cards we bought, though. I have two cards 
that will make people take shots because they are flagship blacks. Um, I'm going to talk about one real quick. I just tweeted about this, but I bought a card. Or I bought technically a lot that was titled 2002 Tops Roy that. Holiday Baseball Card Dash One is Black. So if you're a fan of this podcast, you know that Black Flagship started in 2003. Not 2002, but these cards were both 2003 Tops Roy Holiday cards. Uh, one of them, of course, was a black parallel numbered out of 52, which is the first year. Um, I got this for $10 shipped, which I thought was crazy. Um, I checked ComC. ComC has literally never had one of these Roy Holiday black parallels through their doors. There hasn't been one on the platform. There is not obviously any sales on eBay. So I'm going to put this up, I think, at 500 OBO on on eBay, Max, uh, just as a fuck around and find out situation with the see if someone has a safe search who's a big Roy Holiday collector. Um, was really hyped about that. And then I had one other Super Bowl auction buy um, that I don't think I sent you, but uh, Super Bowl auctions were very uh, prolific for me. I had a lot of fun bidding against nobody. Uh, I bought a Topps Black Border Jay-Z flagship out of 500 because it's basketball. It's not numbered out of the year. 2005 for 10. There is basketball where it is numbered out of the year though, right? Yeah, I think 08 um, it yeah. is numbered out of the year. I think 08. Um, but I bought this black Jay-Z for $10 free shipping. $10 free shipping, Max. I'm stunned. That's, That's crazy. Yeah. So shout out Super Bowl auctions. Make sure to tune in next year for those. Uh, do you have, you know, we talked a lot about a lot of your buys, but did you have any uh, online snipes while you were away or another deal that you want to bring up from the show that you just remembered? Um, no real snipes. Um, I brought a jump. I bought a Jalen Brunson lot a while back and I have two cards left. I have a fast break optic pink auto out of 20 and a prism choice auto from that lot left. So I think I'm trying to get acquaintance myself more with buying lots, especially with buying lots online. And in that regard, it's fun saying, okay, if I sell this $200 card, that's worth 200 for $200. And I'm into this really nice Jalen Brunson card for free, which I expect to be a slower mover and one that I may have to sit on for a bit, but knowing that I'm into it for such a low cost basis, that's part of the fun with cards is knowing, oh, wow, I did a smart play and I know my cost basis and this is really low now. Or, oh, I'm profiting in this and I got a free card. Oh, I did all this entire lot and I'm into this card for free now. That's pretty cool. Um, Those those are my favorite calculations to make. Yeah. Um, I had three eBay buys since the podcast episode from last week. One of them which I think is very interesting. I bought a Bones Highland select gold auto out of 10. This was before he was traded to the Clippers. I wanted to re-get myself in. And before I was getting into gold hypers for about 350 bucks, I sold those, I think at a $50 loss each. So I'm like, if I really want to get into Bones Island, uh, these aren't, it's gold, but it's not a true gold. And I'm hazy on non-autos and stuff. So I bought a gold select rookie signatures auto of Bones Highland for $232.55. That was, I did not expect to get that low. Yeah, but it's Bones Highland and I am now vetoing you buying Bones Highland cards, I think, because even the Nuggets didn't want him, Max. I don't think you should buy his cards. Well, at worst, it's a broad agreed candidate. That, and that's what I try to incorporate in my buying, that I can at least make the play on it if I believe in the card. Or I can maybe sell for 10% higher because it was an auction. But, okay, at least I'm having my fun with Bones Island in another way. And my two other eBay buys is James Wood Yellow 
out of 75. It is a true yellow. It's pretty cool. Um, this ran me like 125 bucks. I'm just going to grade it and see what happens. And I'm kind of getting into kabooms. So not really kind of getting into kabooms, but just out of trying to grade where it makes sense. Try to find the father and son that ripped the blaster and now want to cash in on it. Find those types of listings. Um, I got worried on this. This came in a box. No, excuse me. This came in in like a brown USPS envelope. And inside it was just kind of like a sleeve, like a brown sleeved thing. And I'm like, where's the card? And then I open it and it is an envelope with a thank you card inside. And then this and a card saver, untaped, almost about to fall off from the card saver. I haven't looked at it yet. I don't think it's damaged. Um, the fact that it's in a card saver, though, worries me that someone has already picked through this on grading. But I have to try. Who, and who is that? Know. Just for the people listening. Oh, what sorry. Um, you're right. I didn't specify. It is Chris Olave. So not a QB. This ran me like 300, 350 bucks. And we'll see how this turns out. Max, which uh, parallel oh, yeah. is more hated on slash more underrated, yellow or green? Um, Underrated, yellow, hated, green, and green shimmer. Greens just fucking suck. I'm on an explicit podcast to the person who rated us two stars. I'm not going to be mean and say the obvious, you know, seven letters that people say. But, like, come on. We love the kids. I'm for the hobby. And... I'm a young man who's going to swear a little bit. Yeah, it's just how it is. We're going to be swearing a little bit sometimes. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This was a fun one. Episode 40. Can't even believe we made it this far, as we say every episode. But I think I'm going to throw in the theme music at the beginning of this one, Max. And that's from our boy at Breaks and Bros. Yes. I missed him uh, at the show this weekend. We tried linking up, and I gave him a table to be at. But I think I was walking when he was at the show. Or he just didn't make it to the show. I don't know. But... Yeah, well, we, we're, we're big fans, and uh, it's hard to link up at shows sometimes. There's a lot of business that's going on and a lot of walking around. So um, we'll play that at the beginning, and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Peace out. Peace.